This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. I am your host, Joey Powell. With me, as always, Relly Mac, Sherelle McMillan, West Coast Sean, Sean Moran. Gentlemen, Sean specifically, I'll let you go first since you're, you're earlier than we all are. How you doing, man? Uh, doing doing much better after watching that that second half. I was watching the first half. I was getting a little nervous about about how this podcast was going to turn you out. You wanted to record this podcast at halftime, and <laughs> I was I was firmly in the camp of saying no because we all knew that comeback was happening. Uh, Shrill, how you feeling, man? I'm good. The weather was amazing in North Carolina today. Kind of a fault spring that we're getting. Yeah, man. You know, for, you know, for us big guys, putting on short sleeves the first time after the winter. It's so it's liberating. Yeah, it's a little, little, I'm kind of like feeling myself through, uh, but yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, man, that uh, that head fake spring we had today was uh, <laughs> was something to behold, but I will take it nonetheless. Uh, hey, thanks to everybody for joining us. Thanks for listening. If you're viewing us on YouTube, thank you for being there. Make sure you take a second, rate and review. Uh, we love to get good reviews. Uh, ben Sherman especially likes to see good reviews about us. Um, if you want to talk about Sherelle's amazing wardrobe, uh, if you want to talk about Sean's superb superb uh ceiling fan action that he's got going on there feel free but give us a good review that helps bump us to the top of of podcast nation's algorithms and it it helps us to get better feedback and uh better noticeability from advertisers and from search engines and stuff so when i say leave us a review please it really helps if you appreciate what we're doing take five seconds leave us a review if you don't like what we're doing take some time and, and tell us why it's not very good or what we, what we should do better. Um, you can always email us or shoot us messages on the inside Carolina message boards, um, comment to us that way. Uh, but just let us know. We want to make sure that what we're providing you is up to the standard that you have come to expect from inside Carolina's content in general, but also from inside Carolina.com's podcast. With that also want to give a big shout out to Johnny t-shirt, the sponsors of this here show. We love Johnny T. I got a great Johnny T story. I'll get to in just a little bit. Sherelle, world's colliding. You'll like this Johnny T anecdote. Hmm, okay. But um, talk about that in just a few. Boys, let's get started. Before we get into the current UNC uh, bipolarism, uh, manic existence, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Sherelle, you've got a quick hitter about uh, the, the end of the season for some UNC prospects and commitments. Yeah, so UNT's uh, two signees from the class of 2021 are both in-state. DeMarco Dunn from uh, Westover High School and then Dontre Styles from Kinston. And both of their seasons ended in the second round of the North Carolina High School Athletic Association playoffs. That was on Thursday night. Uh, Styles and Kinston lost uh, to Reedsville, who actually has Breon Pass, who is an NC State signee. Um, if North Carolina pursued, who would have been a UNC signee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Pass is going to NC State. <clears throat> he was a two-sport athlete and 
you know, was trying to make up his mind between football and basketball. And then Dunn and Westover lost to Northern Guilford. So their high school careers are over. So kind of next stop for them is uh, UNC. They will, um, if everything goes according to the plan like it should, they will enroll in June. Um, and then you and one of UNC's targets uh, in 2022, Deontay Green, we've talked about a lot. Uh, he and Asheville Christian won a state championship for the Independent School Association, uh, the 3A championship. They beat uh, Gaston Christian in Gastonia, who's been all over the news the last couple of days because of that. Hey, man, <laughs> they're the gateway from Charlotte. And <laughs> you can't really can't really hate on the gas house too much. Was uh, was LeVar Ball at that game? I don't think he made that one. OK, never lost. No. Never lost. Um, all right. Well, we appreciate that update. And uh, I'm thankful for you guys for, for staying in touch with that stuff because I know our listeners and our viewers appreciate it. All right. Um, I really wish that I had a, a one of those magic eight balls because I feel like that's probably just as effective of a tool uh, in predicting this current UNC basketball team as anything else that we could come up with because never in my life have I seen as much of a Jekyll and Hyde roller coaster of a week of one college basketball team as I saw last week between Louisville and then Marquette. But not to be outdone, this team decided to consolidate that into one 40-minute segment and do both of those things in one game <laughs> against Florida State. So shout out to them for keeping us on our toes. And they're, as Greg Barnes said on the Inside Carolina Live radio show Saturday at 10 a.m., uh, they are remarkably consistent in their inconsistence and guys I'm going to start off there what in the sweet hell went on between Louisville Marquette first half Florida State second half Florida State Sean you get the pleasure of answering that question first I mean it'd be easier to explain if it had gone from Louisville straight to the second half of Florida State I think that would have made Made a lot more sense instead not of making it uh, easy Louisville. That's, that's not an option. They're not going to yeah. make it easy on us. You're going to have to do some stretching, uh, get a little yoga into you, get some flexibility, and then let's get some analysis. Well, I did get some of that in today, so, so maybe that'll help answer the question. But I, I think it, it's almost like going back a, a few weeks when they came off the road win against Pittsburgh. And I think we were looking at the, the Clemson-Duke game and – you know, Clemson wasn't playing well at the time. And I think we we're, everybody was kind of overlooking Clemson a little bit. And all of a sudden Clemson came and just smacked him in the mouth um, a little bit. Same, even at the end of our podcast last week, I think we would have taken a one in one week, but I think we all were expecting a Marquette <laughs> win. Uh, even, even though, you know, there are some warning signs about that game, but once again, they entered the game as a nine point favorite. And after that, that first start or first basket by Armando uh, got dominated by a, a middle tier Big East team. Uh, and then you go into the Florida State game and you're wondering, are they going to win a game the rest of the year? But, you know, it, it's frustrating in terms of some of their slow starts. Uh, it's frustrating watching them collapse all on a, on a driver going to the basket and giving wide open threes. But then it was exhilarating watching Walker Kessler have have the game of his, his uh, life so far in that second half. So once again, I think it's a team we've talked about it all year that they, they have, um, they have potential, but it's still a young team. There's still a lot of weaknesses um, and they are able to put it together at times, but you're just not going to get it for 40, 40 minutes. So you're going to have that, that up and down swing. So you might even get it for 40 minutes, out one but you're not going to get it for 41. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, no, uh, that's... So, you know, 
That's that's spot on. And, and Greg Barnes also mentioned something I didn't know until this weekend. UNC is not uh, has not won four straight games this entire year, which would be a first uh, in Carolina basketball history. And I know part of that is due to um, you know, the fact that uh, the, the first part of the season got so truncated and they did not have all of the cupcakes they usually get to, to round into form. Sherelle, was it that easy? I mean, is it is it just, you know, let's be psycho? Is that, is that how, how this, this team works? I, I've never seen anything like it. And you've watched this team uh, for just about all of your, your natural born life, at least back to when Moses wore short pants. So <laughs> how have you ever seen that sort of, of vacillation between good and god awful, as you saw basically since last Saturday? You know, I don't think so. Uh, you know, not, not to to exaggerate or anything, but UNC sent out game notes, and that first half was the third lowest shooting percentage and a half in Smith Center history. True. So it literally was one of the worst halves as far as shooting is concerned in UNC history. And then you add 14 turnovers to that. And you can make an argument, you know, the NC State game, I think where they scored like 50 points at home a few years back. But in our lifetime, it was definitely one of the worst halves. I think that is, that's not an opinion. That's fact based upon some of the stuff you can see sent out. And then the second half was one of the best. I think it, it kind of reminded me, you know, the level of play wasn't that bad, but the Florida state game in 93 with the George Lynch dunk, that kind of, it harkens back to that. I I know you did a podcast on that last year um, on the throwback and, I, you know, I just didn't see it coming, man. I don't, I, nobody did. There's no way. I mean, the, the live betting, it got to like minus 14 at one point. <laughs> it was there in the first half. You know, it seemed like they were done. And in my head, and I think talking to people, it was kind of like preparing, okay, like how do we, in my mind, for what we do at Inside Carolina, I was like, okay, the season's over now because they're, they're, they lost to Marquette in an embarrassing fashion. It looks like they're going to lose to Florida State in an embarrassing bat, uh, fashion. How do they pick up from this? And then within the first four minutes, the game is tied. And you're like, it's kind of like what happened, you know? Um, so yeah, you have to give, first off, you have to give credit to Roy Williams because he takes a lot of shots in, in, in the media and with the fan base. Wait, wait. And- I, was, I was told that he was terrible, <laughs> that he was washed up, he was old, he needed to be put out to pasture. That's what, that's what they told me. That's what I well, heard. I won't say that some of the criticism wasn't deserved, but yeah. if you're going to criticize people, then you need to praise them as well when they do Fair. well. So I think, you know, he showed whatever he did at halftime worked. Um, so I think that's number one. And then as a team, they just settled down. And a lot of that is incumbent on the freshmen. We talked about entering the season, how North Carolina was going to play five and six freshmen all season. And I think it would be six, but Puff is hurt. And when you have a team where freshmen are playing that many minutes and scoring, I think it was 62 of the 78 points, mm-hmm. you're going to have this kind of massive inconsistency, especially when they're freshmen who aren't, that you know, elite one and done top five types um, from their their play on the court. When you have that, it's just like you said, it's going to vacillate between frustrating, between very good, between average and great. <clears throat> You'll just get kind of kind of these variances in each game, and I, I don't think that's necessarily going to change, even with Syracuse and Duke, and then onto the ACC and NCAA tournament. A um, couple of things you talked about the scoring from the freshmen. It's the first time that all four of the double figure scores in the game for UNC had all been freshmen, like in the history of Carolina basketball ever. Um, that was a curse nugget from after the game. And also to just, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that 93 game because in our group chat, after they scored their first six in the second half, I'm like, man, this could be a lot like another major comeback in the Smith center against Florida state, but not even I am that big of a wise ass to say something like that. 
nor am I, uh, or, or I'm also too superstitious to mess with the, the juju in the atmosphere to be able to say something like that in case it did happen. Um, Trill, you talked about what Roy Williams said at halftime. What did he say? You know the answer. Sean, you know the answer. Tell, tell me what, what could Roy Williams have possibly said? Um, and, and I know we heard his postgame comments in his postgame media availability. Any ideas as to what he may or may not have said aside from Walker Kessler, you're starting the second half? I'll go to you first, Real. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I've, I'm of the opinion that he probably didn't do a rah-rah speech. He probably didn't go in there and yell at people and throw a whole bunch of daggums and, you know, all, all, all these other isms that he throws out. I think he probably went in there and said, you guys aren't executing. Like, all you have to do is execute. Stop turning the ball over to the other team, go out there and play, and I promise you, you'll come back and you have a chance to win this game. And I'm sure it was probably nothing more than that. Maybe there was maybe there's a couple of choice words in there just to get his point across. But I, I think that's really all you have to say, because it wasn't it wasn't like in the first half. It wasn't I don't think necessarily to me it wasn't an effort issue. It's just that Florida State, especially defensively, uh, Florida Ooh. State was making sure they couldn't get the ball in the paint and daring UNC to shoot. And UNC was shooting and they weren't making anything. Yeah. Um, so, I mean. Garrison Brooks and Armando Baycott had zero shots in the first half combined zero from your, you know, your starting four and your starting five. Um, So the game plan worked for Florida state. And I think Carolina just executed a little bit better, maybe screened a little harder, uh, maybe came off cuts a little harder and got the offense going and started getting up and down the court. And that opened everything up. That's a great point. I mean, Florida state obviously came out right up in Carolina's guts. I mean, they're, they were very aggressive on the ball um, very aggressive in their denial of, of, of passes in the passing lanes. Um, and, it, you know, I mentioned to Sean earlier, it would have helped if I appreciate the Tar Heels recognition of fans in the arena, but they did not have to throw a pass to the fans every two possessions. I mean, I, I can't remember <laughs> what the number was, but it was 15, 16 turnovers and five field goals in the first half. That is a recipe for disaster. Sean, what do you think Roy Williams may have said or what do you think may have clicked for those guys in the second half? Um, in addition to Florida, and again, Florida State started making some mistakes, which is partially due to the Tar Heels uh, defense becoming a little more plugged in. But Sean, what do you think? What do you think that 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 Roy Williams may have said in the second half? Or was there maybe a strategy change? Oh, well, I, I can imagine he wasn't wasn't pleased. But at the same time, you know, they gave up that basket right at the end. They cut it to 10, uh, let Florida State go one on one and and get it up to, tw- I think, what was it, 12 at the half. But even even at, with ha- you know, 12 points with how poorly they had played was not, you know, insurmountable, but it it did feel like that. The first half, you felt like Florida State was just on another level mentally in terms of how focused they were, both offensively and defensively. I remember um, even one possession, Florida State was at the free throw line shooting, and they were already, you could see them talking in terms of who they had, what the plan was, and you were just like, man, that they're going to come out and they're not going to let their foot off the gas. And then the second half, obviously the Kessler uh, being inserted in the lineup was a change. Uh, You know, we can talk on slow starts, I'm sure in a little bit, but I had to do a double take when I saw that. And then right off the bat, you had Caleb Love taking it to the basket and scoring. Um, And all of a sudden, whether that focus had been there coming out of halftime or it just came after that basket. and, And all of a sudden, it was now UNC that was the more mentally engaged team. And instead of throwing a pass, it's hitting the guy, you know, in the, in the shins, you're hitting him where he needs it. You're making for the most part, Chris passes defensively. You guys are the aggressors and all of a sudden it just changed. And I was concerned, you know, what happened, you know, 
these guys are playing great for the five, six minutes. What's going to happen when they start putting subs in? But sure enough, uh, you know, when the subs came in, they were able to keep up that, that energy and continue that for the, the 20 minutes. So I don't know, it was something that he said, but all of a sudden that, that change, you know, change from the first half to the second half, just completely flipped the script and, and let UNC be the more, sorry, more aggressive team that was more mentally engaged. Yeah, that's a great point. They actually were much more engaged, taking the ball right at uh, Florida State and kind of hitting, uh, going right at Florida State's chest a little bit. And I do think when you're the aggressor, as Florida State was in the first half, it does take the other team out of what it is that they want to do. All right, real quick, I'm going to hit this Johnny T-shirt story that I, I promised to tease everybody with. Uh, and then we'll let some of the national guys come in and run their ads. And then we're going to get into some specifics about uh, yesterday and, and the season moving forward for what few games we have. But Sherelle, um, you're familiar with the uh, the Carolina Constable from Hope Mills, Bruce Armstrong, correct? I am. He's represented me several times, actually. So, uh, well, <laughs> likewise. Um, so Bruce Armstrong's son, Michael, who is our age, listener of Inside Carolina Live, the radio show, um, won our, our Johnny T-shirt contest a while back. Yesterday, before the uh, Florida State basketball game and the UNC versus UVA baseball game, they made a stop in somewhere on Franklin Street. Where do you think they went? I think it was Johnny T-shirt. They went a Johnny T-shirt. And I saw a picture on Facebook of Bruce wearing a really, really sharp uh, Jordan. And I can't remember what the brand of it was or the, the name of the, of the jacket was. It was bright Carolina blue, Jordan logo, UNC inter or interlocking NC on the other chest, black collar, black snap buttons on it. It was so slick, man. I mean, just absolutely oozing machismo, if I could drop a Razor Ramon reference. And uh, I said to Mike, hey, man, your, your dad's jacket is flames. And he actually said to me, yeah, thanks. We used our Johnny T-shirt gift card and went in there and got some stuff for the kids. And Bruce picked that up while he was in there. So shout out to Bruce and Michael Armstrong. Also to our friends at Johnny T-shirt who are constantly hooking up people in the coast to coast slash inside Carolina.com universe. You can be on that list. Also, maybe one day we'll be telling a story about you, uh, you out there in listening land. Hit up Johnny T-shirt, Johnny T-shirt.com. Baseball team just finished taking two of three from uh, nationally ranked Virginia. Uh, they did drop the, the series finale today by one, but Tar Heel baseball looking good. If you need your Tar Heel baseball gear, hit up johnnytshirt.com. Great prices, amazing selection, quick shipping time. They're socially distancing too if you want to stop in the store when you're in town because now we can go back to games. Some people can go to games. If you're one of those people, stop into Johnny T-shirt like Bruce and Michael did. Uh, if you're an Inside Carolina premium subscriber, use your extra 10%. You'll be glad you did. Johnny T-shirt will appreciate your support, and we will appreciate you appreciating them. Right now, we'll take a quick break. Let uh, the national guys come in here and run some ads, and we'll be right back to talk a little bit more about specific players, uh, some end-of-season breakdown, and where the Tar Heels go from here. Hang tight. We'll be right back. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. Appreciate you sticking around. Joey Powell here with Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran on the Coast to Coast podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Just got done kind of starting to unravel 
what we thought was an unraveling of a Tar Heel basketball team it turned out to be a, a really amazing 49-point second half for the Heels as they came back to knock off the number one team in the ACC um, and a team that I feel like has, has really come on as a program in Florida State. Guys, some of the talk around the Tar Heels the last couple of weeks has been, are they on the bubble? Are they off the bubble? I think a lot of that is clickbait. I think it's forced content. I think it's um, it's a lot of news sites putting certain people on and off the bubble to get clicks to generate news. But with regard to the Tar Heels tournament hopes, something that really perplexes me, and I want to get each one of your thoughts on it, is the usage of the net as a metric by which teams are measured to get in and out of the tournament. And I don't know if it's just this year or if it's because the inequity in how many games have been played or if it's just that I'm paying attention to it more this year because of the situation the Tar Heels are in. But I feel like the net as a metric is incredibly volatile. Here's an example. Tar Heels were whatever they were prior to, and I could do the math, but I'm, I was told there would be no math. Uh, the Tar Heels were whatever they were before the Marquette game after beating Louisville. Lost to Marquette, dropped 10 spots. Beat nationally ranked Florida State for a Q1 win and only moved up one. Leaves them now at 42. Sean, why am I overthinking the net, or is it absolutely uh, an incredibly volatile metric? And is it just something that's that's happening this year? <laughs> uh, I might be the wrong one to ask because I I rarely look at at the net. Now, I'm on Ken Palm all the time, kind of going going by that, which you know I think for the most part tracks similarly. But the, the net I try to reserve, you know, especially you've been talking about Colgate as kind of a top ten team early early on in in the net. So I. I, I, for the most part, don't put a whole lot of stock in it until later, which is probably right now. But I think in terms of, you know, the against Louisville, they jumped. Well, I'm going to switch it a little bit, go to Ken Palm. They jumped 10 spots in Ken Palm just because of how efficient they were, both offensively and defensively. And then Marquette, once again, they dropped due to, <laughs> due to their lack of efficiency. Um, and I think for Florida State, it was a it was kind of right in between. It was a big win, but in terms of how they played just due to how, how bad the first half was, it kind of mm -hmm. evened everything out. But once again, I think when you're looking at the tournament, you know, you now have a legit, a legit win in there, which we've, we've talked about with the ACC has been, been hard with really yeah. Florida state and UVA for the most part being the only two uh, quality, quality wins, you know, Louisville, Louisville is a little bit, lower but now you you finally have a legit a legit win that you can carry plus everything else that you've you've done throughout the year so that's why that win was so important versus in my mind kind of watching the fluctuations yeah Cheryl I'm going to come to you and, and a little different question you know I, I think that unless you matter of fact let me change that Cheryl <laughs> do you have strong thoughts about the net that you want to you want to throw in here not strong. I, I would just say I think Kim Palm is a little better because it measures the how, um, you know, how you played. And I think that is a stronger measure over the course of the season to determine who is actually good because you can have a good record, but it doesn't mean necessarily that you're good. And you can have a bad record, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're bad. Mm -hmm. um, and so Kim Palm kind of uh, fixes that. Whereas the net, I think every year there's a criticism about it in that there's always some random team who is like, <clears throat> I think you gave Colgate as an example, but like teams will start off, you know, 11 and one and you'll have like 18 and one Clemson is number two in the net. And you're like, well, obviously they're not the number two team in the country because, you know, it's Clemson and we kind of know <laughs> what they're going to do. You know, every year they're going to start 12 and one and then they're going to lose seven of nine and be on the bubble. Yep. Um, and, and so I, I think that's part of the issue. 
with the net. I don't know everything that goes into it. I mean, I know people hated RPI, but I, you know, I, I'd rather go back to RPI than the net. It was um, easy to understand. Yeah, it was easier. Else. Right. It was easier to understand. And so I, I have no idea. I, I would guess maybe the, the formula, the algorithm just doesn't have enough information because maybe, you know, Carolina is at their 20, what, 24th game, 23rd game. That's more like early February, usually in, in a given season. So maybe it just doesn't have enough information to be accurate yet. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of it as a metric. I, I'm like, Sean, I kind of stay with Kim Palm and, and go from there. All right. Fair enough. I will get out of the mass, the math questions. Um, <laughs> I am going to throw some stats at you and then follow it up with just a, a, a general philosophical query. If you guys want to play that game. Um, looking at last night's box score, Tariel shot 38% from the field, 21% at a, at a rate of five of 23 from behind the arc. Did hit 90% of their free throws. Uh, did rebound the ball exceptionally well, as always. Uh, 21 turnovers and won the game against a, uh, a ranked top 15 team. Uh, I can understand why Roy Williams said in his press conference on Friday that he was more uh, perplexed or just unable to read, get a read on this team, I think was his quote. Uh, talked with Greg yesterday on the radio show about how flummoxed Roy seems to be. And I don't think last night helped at all. Sherelle, what do you think is, is going on behind the scenes that, that Roy and the staff are doing to try to kind of figure these kids out or, or patch it or just make it work until they, until they get as far as they can in the tournament? Because, uh, I, again, I've never seen him – as he was on Friday when he was in a good mood and not directly after a loss, I've never seen him wringing his hands and just in sheer absolute uh, despair of, of a loss of words than I saw him last Friday. And I would say last night's win, while it was great and he got number 900 and it was good to see the team fight back, I don't think he knows any more about this team than he did uh, after the Marquette game. So how do you feel about that? Do you think there's something they might be doing to try to bridge that? You think some of the guys are starting to figure it out? I don't want to your thoughts you, but I'm going to your thoughts you. So <laughs> have at it. Uh, I think it goes back to the the freshman thing. I mean, if you can give me a season where North Carolina relied this much under Roy Williams on freshmen, you know, I'd be interested to hear it. Maybe, I guess, 2005, the year after the championship, 2005, 2006, to, to some degree. But that team still had David Noel and still had Rayshon Terry. You know, there were still guys who had been there and played, you know, major roles. And, and this team has that, too, to be to be fair. But, you know, uh, an all-freshman backcourt, again, who um, both of them have struggled at times. And I, I think – it's just a, it's a, it's everything added together. It's not one particular thing that I think is causing this volatility. I think it is what we've talked about. It's, it's lack of summer. It's COVID. It's being isolated in a hotel away from everybody else while you're on campus. It's not having the social life. It's missing practices. It's missing exhibition games. It's going three days without a game, then seven days without a game, then two days without a game, then 12 days without a game. It's just, there's never any flow to the season. And I think players naturally are, uh, you know, they, they kind of, uh, they're like, you know, I, I don't mean to sound patronizing, but they are like kids in some degree in that a schedule is really, really important for them. You know, a regimen, you know, in that, <laughs> you know, you, you practice on Wednesday, you're off Thursday, you practice on Friday, you have a game on Saturday, rinse, repeat. You know, they, 
that regimen is good for them and, and they thrive in it. And when you, you kind of remove that, I think that's part of it. And then, you know, honestly, you know, the, the team is some, it's got some disparate parts in how it fits together. And that's something we've talked about really for the last year in that kind of your, I would say six best players or so play like two positions. And then you have the other three where you're trying to figure out exactly, you know, what to do. So I think all of that, it's just a, a combination of like 12 different things that I think makes them this particular team. So volatile, I will say, and me and you talked about it, you know, in the, the, that other group chat the other day in that, they started a season with an identity of, okay, they're going to get down 17 to two, but they're always going to come back. And it didn't seem like that was going to be the case against Florida state. But I think we've seen it enough throughout the season to know that they do have something in the, in the team's DNA that allows them to keep fighting. Um, so I think that's a positive and, and that's something that Royal Williams can lean on. I don't think they've really quit this season. I, I, you know, even against Miami, as ugly and terrible as that game was, <laughs> and as much as I never want to think about oh, it. Oh, you got to bring up old stuff, man. <laughs> hear it again. You know, they were down nine late in that game and, and found a way to come back and win. So I think that's part of the identity. So I think that's something maybe that, that carries over. Uh, but to, to your point, I, I think he's frustrated just because, you know, everything that's happened this past year has been frustrating. And I think that just manifests itself by their inconsistency on the court. That's fair. Sean, any other thoughts of maybe why Roy Williams just hasn't been able to press the right button with this group and how you can, how they can keep continue to, to grind for these last few weeks of the season? Well, I mean, I, I think we were talking about the, the, ha- the switch at halftime and having Kessler in. And once again, you, Chevelle is talking about how they, they get down in the first half. And I think that was, at least for me, one of, one of the criticisms slash things of trying to figure out, you look at, you know, their starting lineup and outside of the Duke game, uh, you know, over the last six, seven games, they're scoring two points, four points, five points, six points. Even when they scored nine against Louisville, they're down five going into that first TV timeout. And it's hard. I mean, if when you start off the game like that, uh, you know, sometimes you have the Florida state games, other times you have the Marquette game where you've just dug yourself into big of a hole and, and you can't, and it's hard to, you know, really get over that, that hump. Um, so it, it's trying to figure out what, what is, what is the right lineup and what are, what is the right buttons to push? Cause every game somebody is playing a little bit differently. I would like to see, you know, Florida state, uh, I think it was both halves. They had their starting five, you know, Leonard Hamilton didn't like what somebody was doing a minute and a half. Scotty Barnes is going in. And I think that, you know, we, they can't, the team can't go five, six minutes with the same guys just trying to figure out there's enough guys on the bench that yeah. should be able to at least bring in that energy. Um, Cause once again, the energy they had in that second half was the energy and focus you would like to see. And if they're, if the, you can, quickly tell if the team has that right off the bat. Um, and if they're not, get somebody else in there that that's willing to hopefully at least bring the energy. Um, you know, I think a few things you're also seeing, you know, from the freshman perspective, uh, Walker Kessler, um, you know, little by little, he's been coming along. A lot of the times he's been catching the ball in games leading up to this. And, you know, he just, his body hasn't been there in terms of just reaction time and, and against Florida state, it finally, everything was, was clicking. Um, and then Joey, going back to what you were talking about the box score, you have 20 offensive rebounds. So once again, that's the one thing that we've known they've been able to do when that's been shut off against Clemson UVA, they've been in big trouble, but 
they were able to dominate dominate the boards and that kind of offset a lot of the poor the poor shooting and then the final thing was their defense uh you know marquette they were scrambling almost every possession getting beat off the dribble leading to a wide open three uh florida state is not you know they're strong they're big they're athletic but they're not a take you off the dribble mm-hmm. type of team besides for maybe raycon raquan gray um so you have a top 15 team in the country from the three-point line, and they only shot, you know, I think they shot five of 17, so below 30%. Um, so a lot of things going on, but I, I think with the team they have, there just needs to be a little quicker on the, the trigger finger in, in terms of if things aren't working out. You know, there's plenty of guys on the bench to at least try it out a little quicker than you know, what we've been seeing. Yeah, thanks for calling out Raekwon Gray. Love his game. I think he's he's almost a unicorn, but I think he's a a very very fun player to watch in the sense that his his skill set is just so good uh, in so many different ways that make him make him really hard to guard. But I was going to ask next about the emergence of Walker Kessler this past week, and rather than kind of have you you know share your thoughts again, I'll kick it over to Rel. Sherell, I, I think I know your answer here, but is it just that Walker Kessler's figuring it out or is it because or is it that they finally decided to unleash the Kraken yeah I think it's opportunity more than anything um if you look at his numbers you know the last five games I think so let me rephrase the first game of the season I believe against you know he played 14 minutes and that was this season high until the last stretch of games and the last five games is another UNC note he set, a, he set or tied a career high consecutively over the last five games. Mm. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that his minutes, he was, he was 12, 12, 12, 8, and then 24 against Florida State. I think he is a player, um, and Roy Williams talk about, talked about this in the postgame, who's very hard on himself. And so the only way for him to really grow, I think, is to just let him play. And not everybody's like that. Some guys, you know, they need to be able to sit and watch, and they need to be able to study, and then they can come in, and, and they're very surgical. I think he's a guy who just you need to let him play. You need to let him play pretty much as much as possible. It's something we talked about on here. Like they you have you, they had to keep getting him minutes and keep getting him minutes because a performance like this, I think, was maybe not quite like this, but a really good performance, I think, was inevitable just because the kid is so talented. Um, so I think it's incumbent on them to still make sure that he gets minutes and he gets in a flow. He doesn't have to play 24 minutes every single game. Um, but just let him play six or seven minutes straight because I think he's, he has to get in a lather. There, there are certain guys, I think, if you go back to football, uh, Marquise Williams was somebody who in practice, they said he was like not good at all. Mm-hmm. But then you get him out on the field and he gets a couple hits in him. And even in the beginning of games, like go back to that South Carolina game in 2015, <laughs> you know, disastrous on drive. And he hit a little bit and he's good the rest of the game. You know, so I think maybe Kessler has a little bit of that in him. He, he's got to feel it. He's got to sweat. He's got to get some contact, get a couple of shots up. And then, you know, his game gets better that way. So to me, I don't think he's changed anything. I don't think it's really development or anything like that. I think it's just opportunity more than anything. And yeah, you know, shout out to whoever said this on Twitter. I can't remember who it was or I would give them credit here, but I did not anticipate Walker Kessler putting up the Rashid Wallace stat line of 20 points, eight rebounds, and four blocks uh, with also a steal and an assist and just some other stuff. I mean, the kid's really everywhere, and and I think he's he's obviously grown into his body a little bit and figured out the speed of the game. Uh, according, you know, I want to give a hat tip to, to Dewey Burke for saying on the post game last night on uh, the Inside Carolina podcast. 
it is good to see him do that. I think his per 40 numbers are off the charts um, to your point earlier about, you know, how much he was getting used. And even in those limited minutes, he was showing himself somebody that's been absolutely panned um, off and on and, you know, rightfully or unrightfully, however you want to carry that uh, this season has been leaky black. And I, I, I came as close to being critical of him uh, on the radio show as I have all year yesterday. He was talking about, you know, the fact that he had, I think five points over the last four games or, or flip that or something like that. Sean, we saw more of a leaky black stat line last night in, uh, in, you know, six, seven, and four uh, points, rebounds, and assists. What does it take for him to kind of get engaged like that? Because I'll be honest, that pass he threw to the hit ahead uh, on the break to Kessler for the one-step dunk was probably – I don't know that I've seen a pass like that from anybody on UNC's team this year. And, and so, I mean, he shows the flashes, and they're rare, but he shows the flashes of, of what he could possibly be. What does it take for him to continue to give – just a small, steady level of effort and stats, you know, little stats in each one of the lines. How can that happen? What, what do you think it takes for Leaky to be able to do that? Uh, <laughs> that's a, a, a great question. Um, and once again, I think that's the thing with him is you have a starter that only, as you mentioned, only scored five points and had, you know, X amount of rebounds over a handful of games. And for any team, you know, you can't just have a guy who's running up and down, up and down the floor. Um, it's perfectly fine if he's not, you know, the, the go-to scoring type of guy. Uh, now, I think both Sherelle and I were watching the same highlight videos this week of UNC uh, going back in the 2010s. And, you know, it's nice to have a Harrison Barnes on the wing, a guy dunking, hitting threes. But, <laughs> you know, if Leakey's getting 20 minutes, he needs, you know, in, in the second half, he was – grabbing those one-handed rebounds. He was, you know, getting switched on to Raekwon Gray and, you know, muscling him up. You know, he was playing MJ Walker. He's, he struggles, you know, the Marquette guys could take him off the dribble. He's going to struggle if you're playing, if he's playing a real quick athletic guy. But once again, Florida State was kind of a good matchup where he could bother them on the wings. And even after that first Caleb Love basket, you could see his energy pick up. Um, and you could see him giving high fives, you know, picking up picking up on defense almost half court yeah. and just playing a lot harder um i don't know what the what the switch is uh because once again do you expect him to score 20 a game but at least dump you know you know be a threat on the glass both offensively and defensively and offensively just look to attack every now and then um i, I think are the the biggest things so it was nice to see that that pass he had was reminiscent of you know Kendall Marshall throwing to Tyler Zeller almost mm -hmm. of, of the, you know, beating everybody down. And I think that's one thing Kessler also does add is he's the best on the team at running the floor. I mean, I think there was a few possessions where, you know, Sharp runs really hard, but him and Sharp started at the same time and, you know, Kessler got him by, by a few feet. So once again, it's just being aggressive and you can go back to the Louisville game where he had, you know, one was, um, I think it was an assist and the other was that missed shot he had at the end of the first half where at least he was aggressive, pushing the ball and getting, getting into the paint. And I get, that goes back to if, if he's not doing that right off the bat, you know, sit him and get into him a little bit and then bring him back in. But you just can't have, especially with two games left in the regular season and then single elimination, you can't have that going for more than two minutes at a time or else they got to come out, come out. But we saw what happens when he is engaged and, 
you know, hopefully that can continue going forward in March. All right, guys, uh, before we put a bow on this, Tar Heels at Syracuse Monday night, 7 o'clock on ESPN. I'm sure uh, ESPN will find a way to get Corey Alexander on our television again so we can find out who he's been slotting into the DMs with this week because that's what we all care about. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks may be worried about how this team is shooting uh, and the inconsistency around their shooting as well. Is it that much different in a place like Syracuse that is a giant dome and they're not going to have any fans? I mean, is it going to affect the game that much, do you think, Cheryl? Joey Fresh? I'm not sure. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> I, was, I was like, is he going to get the joke? Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. We're done here. We're going to go ahead and just, just stop recording now because that's it. Um, shout out to That's Corey my guy. That's shout my outs, guy. Shout outs to Sean Moran, everybody in the Coast to Coast podcast out there doing your thing. Um, no, I, yeah, I, I think it is different shooting there. Um, you know, last year when they went up there, it was one of the best shooting performances of their season. Yep. You know, Cole Anthony, maybe his best game, well, probably his second best game as a Carolina player. Brandon Robinson, you know, played well. So I think it's really just more about moving the ball than it is being in the cavernous building, um, especially, you know, without fans. Um, you know, and it's just really about the Syracuse defense more than anything. Right. I don't think the, the shooting, I think that kind of stuff is a little bit overblown. Obviously, I'm not a college ready shooter or professional shooter, um, but I think it's, it's, I think that's a little overblown. <clears throat> um, I do think that uh, North Carolina is going to have to shoot better than they did last time against Syracuse. Now they beat Syracuse, <laughs> uh, but very similar. They killed them on the offensive glass. You're right, right. Very similar to um, Saturday. Saturday, I think they were five for 23 from three. And against Syracuse, they were five for 24. So right around 20%. Um, but the key to the game, like you said, was the offensive rebounds. They had 24 and they had 18 more shots. So if they do that again, yeah, obviously I think they'll win. Um, I think Leakey, to me, is the key for this game. Um, you know, you can kind of see him maybe in that high post area, kind of directing traffic. Um, he, he, I think he's had good games against Syracuse. I think he was around seven assists, seven or eight assists in the first game. So if, if he can be there kind of doing the high low thing, and even if he takes, you know, I think I'm comfortable with him taking that 14 foot team, 15 foot free throw line extended jumper. Uh, he, yeah. he, I think he hits it pretty decently. I'm uh, not okay with the he, one foot on the three-point line shot, but right, I'm very right. much okay with the, the elbow corner type. Yeah, that's that's fine. Right, right. So even if he can do that, I, I think that'll that'll help a ton. Um, but, you know, with this team, you just don't know. You know, it, you would think just like heading into Marquette, coming off a, a really huge win, everybody's feeling good. <laughs> you know, um, you know, they're, they're playing well, and then they laid an egg. So hopefully I think what Roy Williams and his staff can do is say, all right, we've been in this situation before um, last week we were in this situation <laughs> and you came out and you played, you, you played one of your worst games of the season. So remember that, uh, you know, and just try and come out here and, and be engaged and, and play hard and, and don't allow that to happen again. What happened against Marquette? Well, take your logic elsewhere because this team is not here for it. Uh, Sean, any thoughts on, on how you see the Syracuse game playing out? I like Sherelle's point about, um, you know, seeing Leaky maybe play that Theo Pinson type role of slashing to the logo um, just below the free throw line and trying to facilitate working the, the the wing corners on the baseline to to carve up that zone. How do you feel like the Tar Heels should probably approach this game against Syracuse on Monday night? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, one, I think it, it's one that people are probably looking and say, oh, that should be a, a win, even though it's it's pretty much a toss up with a, a one point 
one point spread. Um, but what does Ken Palm say, by the way? I'm sorry to step on you. What is what's Ken Palm got that one at? I know Vegas says Tar Heels um, minus one, one point se- yeah. 76, 75 UNC. Right. So, you know, <laughs> once again, uh, a toss up, even though UNC is is the better team. Uh, but once again, that the, the game in the Dean Dome was was tight, tighter than it probably should have been. Um, the positive thing, similar to what we said pre-Syracuse last time is the turnover should hopefully be reduced since the, the pressure is not, not extending outwards. Um, you know, you're going to hopefully have the offensive rebounding ability there. As Cheryl mentioned, Leakey, you know, this is a game he can do well in, in terms of, you know, where he's cutting and, and finding little, little open spots, but then, you know, going to the freshman guards, we haven't talked a whole lot about today, you know, Caleb Love, six turnovers some of them were just you know the most frustrating things you've you've ever seen but at the same time i feel pretty confident when he's taking his little dribble jump shot from you know 15 to 18. Uh, i wish he had i thought there was a few times he could have done that yesterday instead of driving driving to the basket and he did do a great job in terms of you know sometimes they had to battle out and and he was able to get to get into the teeth of the defense um so i think even though statistically he's he's still not performing that well, I think he has been playing better. And then you have R.J. Davis, who we talked about last last week, um, as, as kind of a guy. You know, he he hit those threes against Louisville, and now he has back-to-back uh, double-digit performances. So uh, if R.J. can kind of come off the bench and provide a little spark offensively while reducing the turnovers, um, I think that that'll be helpful. So once again, it's it's a game. I think they sh- talent-wise they should win, but. You never know with the team, and ideally, you're not going into that Duke game, you know, hoping that you don't go zero and two for the week. Gotcha. And, and every and with the big men, I think in this game, they they should have some kind of punitive uh, situation <laughs> when they get back. That if you have a situation where you can dunk and you don't, you know, that's twenty up downs, or it's uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's ninety four feet, whatever. You know, dunk the ball. I, I think that's really important for these UNC bigs. They're big enough. They're strong enough. And I think too many times they, they are trying to, you know, I guess finish through contact by, you know, laying it up, but just go and try to dunk the ball. Good things are going to happen. You either get fouled or, you know, most of the time you're going to make the dunk. So go up and be physical with it. And to that point, segueing, just a, a shout out from the um, Florida State game to Garrison Brooks. You know, I think it's very easy for someone like him, a senior, his career is kind of flashing before him, the end of it, uh, ACC preseason player of the year. It had been very easy in that second half to say, you know what, I'm, I'm the senior guy, I'm the leader, I'm going to go out and take my shots and I'm going to try and will this team to victory. You know what he did? He stepped aside he because deferred. he knew he deferred and stepped aside because he knew Walker Kessler had it going. Uh, he, he knew he knew that Dayron Sharp was was you know in there and Armando Baycott had a pretty good second half, second half. So you know he became a complimentary player, and I think that is really really big for your program when the guy who's the face of the program entering the season is willing and you know uh, team first enough to even consider doing that. So I you know and it, he played you know he didn't have huge numbers I think. I think he had four or five points and six rebounds. Not but he didn't numbers, hurt the team. But he didn't hurt the team, and he made both of his free throws. So um, in, in a situation like that, when somebody has it going, it's good to see, especially a senior, be willing to just go to that guy and, and you know, let them cook, for, for lack of a better phrase. And you guys have said all year, you know, this team does lack some serious bona fide leadership. And while that may not be the rah-rah you know, chest thumping type of, of leader that a lot of fans may expect. 
everything you just shared does show leadership. And I think that's, that's great that you brought that up and shared that about Garrison. Sean, anything before we go? No, I mean, I think on the Garrison front, I thought he did pretty well defensively, especially in the second half, uh, you know, bothering Gray. Um, and once again, he's always put in a tough position, basically being a center that's now guarding for the most part a stretch four in a lot of these games. And he's been able to slide his feet pretty well. And even when, when they're able to get a step on him, you know, the fact you have Kessler in there with his monster wingspan and, and how, how he uses his arms to kind of protect uh, protect the rim, I thought definitely helped out in the second half in terms of their, their defensive performance. Um, but it will be interesting to see how the game goes Monday, if they can use this and build on it, um, or if it's, you know, they're scoring four points to start and 29 points in the first half and what have you. But once again, with how Syracuse plays, uh, they should, you know, they should be able to create opportunities for themselves. Um, and hopefully come out with a victory. And we're, we're recording this on Sunday. So if UNC schedules a game in the interim, that's why we didn't mention it. Just yes. It's not that we're hiding anything from you folks. <laughs> we got nothing to hide. We're all fully disclosed or unclosed or whatever, unclothed, unclad. What, we're not hiding anything from you guys. <laughs> um, I don't know. I may or may not be wearing pants, but that's for another day. All right, boys, as always, appreciate you guys joining us. And you know what? If I didn't have pants, I could go get some from Johnny T-shirt. Much love to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring the show. Yes, indeed. Uh, we appreciate them being there for us. Appreciate all you guys listening. Uh, as always, thank you to Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan for joining us. Thank everyone for, for tuning in and checking us out. Uh, if you have not, subscribed, rate, review us, all that good stuff. If you're not a premium Inside Carolina subscriber, we're judging you a little bit. Or a little bit. I'm going to judge you just a little bit. You should probably fix that. Uh, but we appreciate you being here. Hope you have a great week. We will check you next time on InsideCarolina.com's Coast to Coast podcast. Late. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.